Good morning. Are we at the end of that slideshow, Chad? So if this is your first time here or it's your first time in the last two weeks, you are jumping in on the week two of a new series called Impossible. Impossible and Impossible is a series that we started last week. We're going to be doing it every single week until Easter Sunday. And what we're doing during this series is we're looking at the life of Jesus, the story of Jesus, but we're doing it in a special way. We're going through the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels. They give us the story of Jesus and what he's done and his works, but we're kind of doing it in a way that's a little bit different from just looking specifically at many stories of Jesus. We're looking at seven signs, seven miracles that Jesus performed while he was on earth. Uh, John chooses out of the 34 miracles that we have recorded in the four Gospels to highlight seven of them. And he says these seven signs point us to a reality. They point us to the reality that Jesus is the Son of God. And not only do they point us to the reality that Jesus is the Son of God, that in Jesus, in Christ alone, can you have life, eternal life and life now. In fact, at the end of his gospel, John tells us this is explicitly why he wrote it. This is what he says in John 20, 31 to 32. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so through these next few weeks, we're looking at seven miracles, seven impossible things that happened and were made possible only because Jesus is the son of God and he is doing them by the power of God. And this series, we have a big idea for the entire series that I want you all to catch, and it's this, it's this it's, we don't just seek miracles, we seek Jesus. We don't just seek miracles, we seek Jesus. And if we seek Jesus with all of our hearts, I believe that he will do miracles in our midst. Not just signs and wonders, but even the miracle of changing the human heart, which I think is the greatest miracle of all. And so we're diving in to this series called Impossible. Before we get started today, can we pray together, please? Heavenly Father, Father, we are so thankful to be able to gather as your people, to be free to do that in this country. We're thankful for every person here, Lord, we're thankful to those that couldn't make it here this morning. Lord, as we gather under your word, as we open your word and hear from you, Lord, I would just ask that you would give us ears to hear 
and hearts to receive what you want to share with us this morning. Lord, we had to jump an hour ahead last night, and a lot of us are feeling tired. A lot of us had a, lo a long week that that just added to some extra tired. But Lord, keep us awake. Awaken us from the inside out so that we won't miss what you want to share this morning. Lord, I ask that you would use me. Holy Spirit, speak through me. I can't do this on my own. None of us can. But Lord, we ask that this isn't a time of just knowledge trans transition, but it's a time of transformation of our hearts, that we are changed because we were here today. And as we leave here, we take one step forward into living for you in the world so that people will see us in our schools, people will see us in our workplaces, people will see us in the places we go this week, and they'll wonder why we're different than the people around the world, and we'll be able to share with them the good news of your son, Jesus. So Lord, we come to you. Teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Has anybody here ever heard of the man named George Danzig? George Danzig. That's okay, don't feel bad. I didn't either until this week. <laughs> George Danzig, but is a very famous person, and you've been influenced by him, whether you know it or not. In 1939, George was uh, enrolled in the uh, UC Berkeley, UC Berkeley, to study statistics of all things, to study statistics of all things. And, and, and the first day of class in, with Professor Naiman, uh, Professor Naiman walks into class and he writes two problems, statistical problems on the blackboard. And he tells the class as he's writing these two problems that they are two impossible problems that cannot be solved in the, in the field of statistics. The only problem was that George was late for class that day. And so George came into class and he sneaks in and he sits down and he opens his notebook ready to take notes and he sees the two problems up on the board and he assumes that they're homework. And so George writes down these two problems and he goes home that night and he does what anybody would do with homework. He tries to solve the problem. And it turns out these two impossible problems that night were solved by George. So the next time he went to class, they, he went to the lecture, and then he turned in his homework of solving these two problems to Dr. Naaman. And that evening, Dr. Naaman comes to his door and says, George, you got to come with me. I have some government officials that need to meet you. And it was a good thing, because what happened from that point on was George Danzig was involved in the government and the in creating statistical analysis and creating algorithms that have transformed our culture. At one point, he won the National Medal of Science. And the things that he worked on in mathematics after that point help, are, are tools that are used by airlines to schedule fleets. They're used by um, shipping companies to how to, how to deploy their, their trucks back and forth. They're used by oil companies and in the way that they schedule their refinery business. They're used by businesses in the way that they manage revenue in and outside their businesses. The statistical analysis that he's used literally has been used worldwide since that day in 1939. And as George was approached towards the end of his lifetime and people talked to him about this day that he wrote down and solved these impossible to solve problems, this is what George said. If someone had told me that they were two famous unsolved problems, I probably would not have even tried to solve them. That's what he said. Now I think for some of us, as we think about our problems, as we think about if you were here last week, these things in our life 
They were represented by these stone jars, these old things that need to become new. If you weren't here, these things in your life that you know that are problems, if I said, what is the biggest problem you're facing in your life right now, you would be able to name it. There's a good chance that somewhere along the line, you became convinced or somebody convinced you that there are problems that you face that are impossible to solve. And you're not even trying to solve them. There's a problem in our lives. And and here's the thing. I believe, I'm naive to believe, that if you follow Jesus long enough, that the things that were once impossible actually become possible. I've seen it in my own life, and I know that there's other people that have followed Jesus in this church this morning that have seen it too. There are things, there are behaviors, there are thought patterns, there are ways that I speak, ways that I act, ways that I love, that I would have thought were impossible 10 years ago. Oh my goodness, if you would just know 10 years ago, if you would have came up to me and said that I'd be standing in front of 200 people preaching on a regular basis, I would have told you that's impossible. I don't even like public speaking. I don't even want to do that. But if you follow Jesus long ago, he makes the impossible possible. But here's the problem. This is the reason why most of us, we're just like George. Most of us don't experience the impossible becoming possible in our lives. The primary reason is because we allow our logical assumptions to trump our theological beliefs. We allow our logical assumptions to trump our theological beliefs. Let me say it in a different way. Our reality is defined by our human assumptions rather than divine revelation. And we don't see them. We don't see impossible becoming possible. But I believe that Jesus can make the impossible things in our life possible. But it only takes one step to get us started. It only takes a step. So today we're going to have the opportunity to look at two impossible stories that became possible by the power of God on our two signs. The reason we're doing two today is because we've got to get them all in. And we have a special uh, piercing words coming on the seventh. So we're going to do two today. You with me? I know you didn't even get an extra hour of sleep last night, but we can do this. And I think God's got a really incredible thing to share with you this morning. So turn with me to John 4. John chapter 4, starting at verse 46. John chapter 4, starting at verse 46. If you don't have scripture with you this morning, it's okay. It'll have it up on the screen as we follow along this morning. John 4, starting at verse 46. So here's the story. He, that's Jesus, talking about Jesus now. He went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned water into wine. So he's back in the same town we were at last week. And there was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him, and he pleaded with him to come down and heal his son, since he was about to die. And so Jesus is again in Cana, and there's a man that comes from Capernaum, a royal official. Now we know... We know from history that a royal official would have been somebody that serves in the court of the king. And the king at this point in that area would have been Herod Antipas. And so we have a man who's a high level status. He's the highest level status that you could possibly be except for the king in that geographic area. And he is going, think about this, he's going to an itinerant preacher slash rabbi slash son of a carpenter for help. Now this in, 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 in and of itself would be impossible. And not only that, but it says that he, went, he came from Capernaum to Cana. Now, Cana to Capernaum is a, it's about 17 miles as the crow flies. But if you were to take a road, it's about 25 miles. 
and they didn't have cars back then, in case you didn't know, this is the first century, right? They didn't have cars, they didn't have mopeds, they didn't even have bicycles. He would have had to walk this distance. And not only would he have to walk this distance, but from Capernaum to Cana would have been Capernaum 700 feet below sea level compared to Cana. So he would have had, it's like your grandfather telling you this story, right? He would have had to walk uphill both ways to get there, but he had to walk 25 miles uphill to see somebody who would have been beneath him in class because he had, a, he had a crisis. He had a major crisis that his son was about to die. So he was coming to plead with Jesus that he would come with him, that he would close the distance for these 25 miles and come with him so his son could be healed. Miracles, and, and for us to see miracles, for us to see the impossible become possible, sometimes take sweat, sweat equity. Sometimes they take us to move towards Jesus, and that's what this man did. Jesus' response to him was interesting. Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. That sounds very nice, Jesus. Man, pleading with you about his son about to die, and you, you chastise him? You see, what Jesus is doing here, I don't want us to miss this, is what Jesus says to him, his response is because he's looking at this man's heart. And he sees that this man came to Jesus, not because Jesus was a savior, but because Jesus was a means to an end. Jesus was seeking someone to be a sign, and the, people, or the man was seeking Jesus to be a sign or to be something that would help seeking the solution. And Jesus said to the man and all the other people, you people just want the signs and wonders to believe. You don't really believe that I'm a savior. And this is another part about us seeking the impossible to become possible. It's whether or not we're seeking Jesus for who he is. Remember the big idea for the series? We don't just seek miracles. We don't just seek signs. We seek Jesus. We seek a savior. But that's what the man was doing. And this is going to be a problem for us. This is going to be a problem for all of us as we think about the impossible becoming possible. Because if we're honest, love me when I say this, sometimes we can be consumers of religion. Sometimes we can come here week after week, and the only reason we come here is not because we're seeking the Savior, but we're seeking the sign. We're seeking the miracle. We're seeking the worship that makes us feel good inside. We're seeking the pastor that gives us a good message so we can go home each day and say, boy, I was fed today. And we can turn it into something where we only come to church so that we can have the warm and fuzzies rather than come to church to seek the Lord and Savior of the entire world. And we never want to be a church. We never want to be a place. If we want to be a place where we will have the impossible become possible, we want to be a place where we're seeking him. We're seeking him not as a means to an end, not as a solution to our problems, but as Savior and Lord first and foremost in our lives. And so Jesus chastises this man. But the man responds to him and he says this, Sir, the official said, come down. Come these 25 miles, down 700 feet in elevation before my son dies, before my boy dies. And Jesus says to him, go, your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. Something happened in this man's heart during this encounter with Jesus. He believed without seeing a sign. He transitioned in a moment from going from believing in the works of Jesus to believing in the word of Jesus. And he believed what Jesus said was so. And so he turned and he took a step. And while he was on his way, the story tells us, his servants met and said to him, the boy was alive. And he asked what time he got better. And they said, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. They answered. The father realized, don't miss this, that this was the very hour at which Jesus told him, your son will live. And so he himself believed along with his whole household second sign the moment jesus says your son will live he finds out that that's what happened 
but it took him believing Jesus' word and taking a step, a step, a step, a step, before he found out that what Jesus said would become true. Second time, go to the third one, very next verse. After this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem, there was a pool called Bethesda in Aramaic, which is five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of the disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. So the next story that John shares with us is Jesus goes to Jerusalem and he goes into this gate, the sheep gate. That's actually where they took sheep in and out. Sometimes those sheep went actually to the temple to be sacrificed. And by that gate, there was this pole, literally like a pole. And, and there's five colonnades, five columns around there. And inside of that, the sick, the lame, the disabled laid, laid around. And if you have an older translation that has, uh, like the King James or the New King James, you see that there's a note that we believe probably is a textual note from a priest, but it tells us the reason why they did that. They did that because as the water moved and stirred, probably as it got fed by the spring that fed the pool, they would, they would believe that an angel had stirred the water, and they believed that the first person that went into the water would be healed. And so that's why they all gathered there. They were waiting for the water to stir to be healed. Story goes on. One man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. Now, this is an important point. This man had been here for 38 years. During this time in the first century, the average life expectancy was 28. 28 years old. Let that sink in. Now, that number's a little skewed because of infant mortality. Because a lot of babies died. So if you just looked at the age... People that lived past age two and looked at the average life expectancy, still, it only took you to 40. People lived after age two, only took you to 40. So this man, with an average life expectancy of 38 years, had been, had been disabled for 38 years. Basically, his entire life. So when Jesus saw him lying there and realized that he had been, already been there a long time, I would say so, he said to him, do you want to get well? Now, this seems like an awful naive question from Jesus, doesn't it? Like, you almost think, like, the paralyzed man would be like, duh, hello, I've been here for 38 years. But Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? And the man answers, he says, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. So the idea is when the water was stirred, he doesn't have anybody to pick him up and bring him to the water. So his answer is, yes, Jesus, I want to get well, but you know what? There is nobody around to help me, and so I am just helpless here in my state, and I don't have any way to get well at all. And Jesus, Jesus looks at him and he thinks to himself, I, I think what Jesus sees, and I want us to see this morning, is not only was this man paralyzed in his body, but he was paralyzed in his mind, because the Son of God, the one who does miracles, the one who could make the impossible possible, was standing right in front of him, asking if he wanted to get well. And this man had locked in his mind the only way he could get well was if somebody else would put him in that pool. He was missing Jesus standing right in front of him because he was locked in, paralyzed. His mind had one way it was going to happen. The only way this is ever going to work is if I go in that water. And can we not be that way sometimes? Some of you that are in this place this morning, you're impossible that needs to become possible. You have a way that you believe it can happen. The only way believe it can happen. And some of you actually believe that the only way it's going to happen is if another person changes or another person does something for you. 
And so when Jesus is standing in front of you asking you if you want to get well, you say, I want to get well, but you know what? This person won't fix themselves, and until they do, I can't get better. Unless somebody else helps me, I can't get better. In the meantime, Jesus is standing in front of you asking if you want to get well. And Jesus says to the man, get up. He told him, pick up your mat and walk. And instantly the man got well, picked up his mat, and started to walk. When people begin to believe the word of Jesus, the works of Jesus happen. And it took a step from this man. It took him a step. It took him to, when Jesus said, get up, it took him to get up, pick up his mat, and walk. Now, there's four things that I see this morning. Four things that I see as parallels between these two stories that I believe God wants to speak to you from this story this morning. The first one is this. Problems have no respect for status. Problems have no respect for status. Folks, each and every one of us has something in our lives that's old that needs to be comforted. Each and every one of us has something in our lives that on a spiritual level, on an emotional level, on a relational level, on a physical level, one of those levels, you could say to me, this is the thing that's plaguing me right now, and it does not have, a, it does not have any concern for status. I don't care if you're the richest person in this room or the poorest room, person in this room. I don't care if you're the smartest person in this room or the dumbest person in this room. I don't care if you're the one who has everything and you, or you're the one who has nothing. It does not matter. What we see here is that in these two stories, we have a royal official who sat in the court of the king, and we have a man who's been paralyzed his entire life. And you know what? There's both problems, and they both had really big problems, but neither one has respect for status, but Jesus doesn't either, does he? Because it doesn't matter what your status is. It doesn't matter what your status in the world is. Jesus has the solution for each and every one of you. The second thing I think I see in these stories today is distance and time are not a difficulty for God. Let's look at distance first. 25 miles, 700 feet uphill. 25 miles, 700 feet uphill. What did the man say when he came to Jesus? He said, Jesus, you need to come with me. You need to come down to Capernaum because my son is sick. And what he did not know, what he thought was that Jesus, the miracle worker, had to come to the place where the illness was. And Jesus said, no, it only takes my word for my works to happen. And Jesus said, your son is well. And while the man was closing the distance again, while the man was taking a step, he found out that the very second Jesus said, your son will be well, he was well. Because it doesn't matter the distance. The other man, you know what he did? Jesus came up to him and said, do you want to get well? And you know what he said? This is my problem, Jesus. I can't go three feet. I can't go to the water. This is too far of a distance for me. And he also probably was thinking, you know what? The time is too far. The man's probably thinking to himself, you know what, Jesus? I have been disabled for 38 years. And did you know, by the way, Jesus? Probably didn't say this, but did you know, by the way, Jesus, the average life expectancy is 40? So I ain't got two years left. Somebody here needs to hear this this morning. It doesn't matter if you're 38 or 88, if you've been dealing with this problem your entire life or if it just started yesterday. Distance and time do not matter to Jesus. And it doesn't matter how long you've been struggling with that problem. It's not a difficulty for God to solve it if you go to him and you seek him as Savior and Lord. Jesus can change you, and it doesn't matter. You're never too far gone. The problem's never too far. The distance never too far to cross. Jesus can change it in an instant because of his word. That's who he is. 
third thing I see here. How is this as important as who? How you seek him is as important as who you seek. Jesus said this, and we caught this from the first story, didn't we? When the man first came to Jesus, he was seeking him, but he was seeking him as a solution, not as a savior. He was seeking him as a miracle worker, not as the son of God. And Jesus chastised him for that. He said, you need to stop seeking me just because you need a solution. You need to start seeking me because the only solution to every one of your problems is me. And then I, by my sovereignty, by my will, by my word, will fix the problems as I see fit. And we have a problem with this sometimes. Folks, I'll be honest with you. Most of my prayers, if I'm honest with you, are going to God to seek him for solutions rather than talking to the Savior of the world. And if you get to a place in your life where every single one of your prayers is going to the ATM of Jesus and saying, okay, here's the problems I need to withdraw from you today, the chances are you're not going to actually see him as truly Savior and Lord. You're not going to get to know him personally as friend. And your prayers to Jesus should be talking to him, to be sharing with him, to be listening to him. To hear what he has to say. Not seeking him only as a solution. Is he a solution for everything? Absolutely. But we need to seek him as Savior and Lord. And you know what we also have to do? How we seek is important as who? We need to stop seeking other solutions. Some of us are just like that man by the pool. And how we're seeking is we're seeking other solutions. We're locked in. Well, it has to be this way. This is the only way my problem is going to be solved, is if this happens. And oh, by the way, Jesus, it takes this person doing this. It takes this other person. And we look at this solution, and we look at at another solution that's going to take this pill, or it's going to take this change of the relationship, or it's going to take this change in my body, or it's going to take that person to finally stop filling the blank in order for my problem to be solved. And in the meantime, what Jesus is saying is seek me. I'm standing right in front of you. You have access to me. Oh, by the way, if you believe in me, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Do you want to get well? Then seek me for who I am, Savior and Lord. So Jesus says to us this morning, the final thing I see in these is that it only takes one step. It only takes one step. That man went from believing only in the works of Jesus to believing in his word. And when he believed that Jesus said your son was well, he still took a step. And we see this time and time again in scripture that Jesus along the way does something, whether it's a miracle in somebody's life or a miracle in the person they came to Jesus' life. And it's because they acted on faith and they took a step. What did Jesus say to the man by the well or by the pool? He said, get up. Do you understand? We get, some of us, we've, we've heard these stories so many times. You're crippled for 38 years, almost your entire life. And you had one conversation with Jesus and he says, get up. Get up and pick up your mat. You can't even move yourself into a pool. That's what you just told him right before he said that. I can't even go three feet to take a swim, Lord. And he says, get up. Because he requires you to take a step. I love this quote by Dallas Willard. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Folks, I am all about grace. There is nothing that you can do to receive the grace of God. It is a gift 
from him, but there is some effort involved sometimes. We cannot lay by the pool and say, unless somebody else does it for me, this isn't ever going to change. If you want to get well, then listen to the words of Jesus. Follow the words of Jesus. Seek him with all your heart. Jeremiah 29 tells us, if you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Because I believe if we seek Jesus, and if we have an opportunity to say, you know what, this is the problem, and this problem requires me to take some life change. This problem requires me to do something different. This problem requires me to stop surrounding myself with these people. This problem requires me to start eating healthier. This problem requires me to believe that my joy is found in Christ alone rather than my circumstances. This problem requires me to stop seeking him as a solution, but daily seek him as savior in prayer. Seek him in his word. Get to know him. Grow in him. And then guess what? Oh my goodness, what happens? The Holy Spirit begins to change my heart and my life. This is what I need to do, but I need to take a step because God's grace is free, but it's not opposed to effort. It's just opposed to you thinking you can earn it by the step. But folks, your problem needs you to take a step. Wasn't one step. Remember, it took 25 miles up to him. A little sweat equity for a father to have his son healed. It took a man who had never walked the opportunity to get up and pick up something. Earning is an attitude, but effort is an action. And Jesus is requesting, I believe this morning to you, that if there is a problem in need of a solution, if there is an old that needs to become new, if Jesus is going to do something new in you today, and you know what it is, you were here last week, and you it's the second I said it, you immediately thought to yourself, this is it. And then you spent the last six days trying to figure out what I'm going to do. How is this going to solve? In fact, maybe you went home last, last week and you said, this is definitely the thing that has to change. And then by the time you got to Friday, you said, it's impossible. It cannot happen. I would say to you that what the Lord wants to say to you this morning is just take a step. And there's brothers and sisters in this place, and I'm one of them to be happy to help you figure out what that is. And guess what? This is the beautiful thing about the church. We would be willing to walk with you. Jesus can make all of our impossibles possible in his time and his purpose. We saw it in Peter. So which one do you have to do this morning? Do you have to realize that your problem doesn't have a respect for status? So don't think it's because of something else. Don't think it's because you're too poor. Doesn't, don't think it's because of this or that. Jesus doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to Jesus. Don't think that the distance or the time that you've been dealing with this matters. You're never too far gone, and it's never been too long. Jesus can still help. Seek him as Savior, not as a solution, because it's just as important how we seek him as who we seek. Finally, it only takes a step. What's your step today? What's the step that the Lord is going to ask you to take this morning? Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these stories, these incredible accounts by the man who walked with you, the man who you and your, your spirit guided to write these words, the very word of God to show us these seven signs, to point us to your son, Jesus. Lord, help us to seek him with all our heart. 
Help us to have the faith to believe that it doesn't matter how long, it doesn't matter how far we feel away from you, there's still a solution. Help us have the faith that it doesn't matter what we believe our status is, that our status is a son and a daughter of the one who created the entire world. Lord, give us the strength to seek you and give us the clarity to see what that one step that we need to take this morning. And Lord, give us stories in this place about people seeking you, seeking you with all their hearts and finding the son and seeing their lives change from the inside out. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us first. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.